Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Welcome back to Leftover. This is Arjun. And I'm Connor. We are talking about something that I, I'm going to be straight up and, and tell everyone that I'm, I'm not massively familiar with uh, today, but is an absolutely fascinating and intriguing topic nonetheless. And that is the world of pro wrestling and the world of fighting and combat sports, sports entertainment and, and all of these things. And uh, we have a very special guest joining us today. Who knows rather more than us, and uh, who I'm sure will have much to uh, much to impart in the way of knowledge, and that is of course George from Pura Puri Podcast. Um, thanks so much for joining. Yeah, how how, how you doing? Uh, you, you kind of put me on a pedal, pedestal there, so we'll, <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how this this goes. I will do my best to be your informant to the weird and wonderful <laughs> world of pro wrestling. Well, I mean, um, one of the reasons why uh, I, th- I thought that this would definitely be a good topic to talk about. One thing I've noticed uh, is just how popular pro wrestling is on left Twitter. <laughs> and <laughs> I just wanted to kind of ask, why do you think that might be? Why do you think that pro wrestling... Because, like, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. Like, I like I grew up... My, my first introduction to wrestling um, was when I was, like, maybe five, six years old in India. And, like... Like WWE or like as it was WWF back then, um, it's like massively popular in somewhere like India, you know, like really, really huge. Um, and it was like top Trump's cards, I'm pretty sure, in school. Uh, and um, and and seeing the names of people like the Hitman and uh, and and Undertaker and and so on. Uh, and and then sort of watching it quite a bit, like in my teenage years, like when I was back in Calcutta, like watching WWE. And then like afterwards, kind of like forgetting about it for the most part until coming back to left Twitter. <laughs> and seeing that there's like a whole contingent of people who are like really passionate about it. And that's, I think that's really cool. But like, why do you think that might be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like, um, I mean, I know Wario Tifo from Real Politics is forever yeah, yeah. posting the same picture of Diamond Dallas Page and various soft left people. <laughs> um, and uh, as, so, yeah, no, I, I'm. It's also something I'm fully aware of. As for why it may be, Jesus Christ, I wish I knew. But like, if I was to hazard a few guesses, because I think if you're looking at wrestling just in terms of WWE, it can come across as something that is fundamentally conservative, right? Like, uh, it's presented. Mm as a kind of morality play, there are various sort of xenophobic uh, characters. Uh, traditionally in WWF, WWE, there's been a lot yeah. of foreign villains or heels, as they're called in, yeah. in, in wrestling lingo. Mm. Um, but I think if you look outside WWE, um, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens in wrestling that I think doesn't conform to that. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. a morality play. It can, it, can, it can be anything. It can be very MMA-focused. It can be just two lads in black chunks just kicking the shit out of each other and, like, it'd be very yeah. realistic for pro wrestling. <laughs> On the other hand, there's a promotion in Japan called Gato Move, which doesn't even have a ring. It's just some women wrestling each other in a 
disused pharmacy in Tokyo. The capacity is depending <laughs> to like 70. And they get up to all sorts, like just chucking people, chucking each other out the window, dressing up as uh, sort of demons from Japanese folklore, riding bicycles around the alleys and crashing into each other. Like those are real silly shit like that. So I think, I think that's part of wrestling. It can be anything that you want it to be. And, uh-huh. uh, and so there's lots of ways in for, for, for leftists, even if you don't subscribe to the kind of ideologies that De La Louis is in large part based on. And I think the other um, the other thing about it is it's just, it's just good fun. Like, I challenge yeah. <laughs> anyone to go to a wrestling show and, um, you know, not have a good time. And there's, I think there's a kind of folklore about it as well. It's very yeah. memeable because I think people mm-hmm. of our generation, of our age, it was very popular when we were kids. And so there's a yeah. lot of good content you can mine out of it. Just go, mm. fucking hell, do you remember the Mean Street Posse? And uh, just, <laughs> just stuff like that, just three lads in golf shirts. I, I think there's definitely a very, like, camp appeal to wrestling mm. as well, like, with the over-exaggerated storylines and, like, the acting that does make it... Like, it is soap opera in a way, which, like, I've only seen bits and pieces, but, like, that's what entertains me the most. Sometimes I'm more entertained by the storylines than the actual wrestling itself. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think so, too. You do get people who literally watch the storylines and they skip all the matches. And I'm always just like, why? They're like, watch literally any other televised drama. The, the scripting and acting will be much better. But people do really like talk to it. What, like like what, watching the porn for the plot. That kind of... <laughs> yeah. The thing is, like, I got down a rabbit hole of watching the Stone Cold Steve Austin Vince McMahon beef like in the so, late yeah. 90s, early 2000s. And I'm sorry, like, one of the funniest videos of all time is Steve Cold, Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin driving in a cement truck dropping cement into Vince McMahon's car like or beating the shit out of him in a hospital bed like I don't know oh, yeah. it's, just, it's just it's just very funny to me like that to me is what EastEnders is to like every middle-aged aunt in the UK like well, well, that, that, that's my entertainment well there was a really good instance of um well again a wrestling meme a couple of years ago when um Edwina Curry got hoodwinked by a guy who posted a video this was just at the start of lockdown and there was like designated hours for key workers at supermarkets and stuff like that and uh, some guy tweeted disgraceful scenes at the asda in haven this should be a quiet time for key workers and the elderly this is not what we want to see and it was just a video of stone cold steve austin beating up booker t in a supermarket this looks staged <laughs> to me can anyone confirm <laughs> No, that was that was absolutely amazing. No, but but it but it's true. I mean, like um, in terms of the the preconception that we have, especially with WWE, like you were saying, that it is like quite conservative, that it's quite uh, you know entwined with the uh, ruling class ideologies and with like um, with particularly like the conservative establishment and like um, uh, the military industrial complex as well. For example, you know all of these things are true. Uh, but like when you look at it, like at its fundaments, you know, I mean, it comes from like traveling circus shows in the like in 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 the nineteenth century, right? I mean, especially pro wrestling as we know it today, you can pretty much trace it back to that. It's just a very, yeah, almost like folkloric kind of entertainment um, um, and an amusement which has existed for a, for a very long time, uh, and it's obviously also going to take on very distinct forms in the different places that it that it, that it is and 
America being America obviously is going to end up becoming very American. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah that's, absolutely. Like, that, I that's, think that's like <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about uh, about wrestling. It's like I mean, it is ancient as a, mm-hmm. a form. Pretty much every civilization yeah. that has ever existed in human history has sure. had some form of wrestling, either as something ritual or ceremonial, or as a way of uh, settling disputes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. you know, it's it's yeah. in the Iliad, it's in the Aeneid. Yeah. Um, it's it's even um, it even um, is a cause for a European war when uh, Henry VIII went to the field of the cloth of gold, got tanked up, tried to wrestle the king of France, got humiliated, still <laughs> got home with his knights. The the two countries were at war a month later. So, but with that's talking about like you know what you might call real wrestling, something that isn't staged. Yeah. But wrestling being uh-huh. staged is almost yeah. it's almost as ancient. There's um, many historians believe that some of the gladiator fights in the Colosseums of ancient Rome. Mm were fixed they were performing yeah. a spectacle obviously not the fights of the death that would have been a pretty hard sell yeah. for the <laughs> but, um... I- i'm gonna take this payout to die <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. how, how smart of a business move that is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and um there's um there's, there's archaeological evidence from uh, i think ptolemaic egypt of a guy agreeing to lose a wrestling match for money to the fail son of this rich merchant um but yeah you're absolutely right the carnivals uh in the 19th century is where it really got big and like that's where um you know two aspects of professional wrestling really began to take shape certainly in the american context that being wrestling being staged and secondly wrestling's invocation with uh capital because have you heard about the hustle that they used to do in the Uh, about like about sort of fleecing the locals for like for, for taking bets for who would win uh, yeah, there, there was there was that, but also um, what they do. I mean, you, you obviously this was a time before health and safety legislation. They used to have a thing <laughs> where they would say, "Roll up, um, last five minutes with our wrestling champion and win like ten dollars, you know, something like that." And people would turn up and they get their ass kicked by this gigantic wrestler. But as soon as the interest started to die off because the people in the crowd were looking at each other thinking, fucking hell, I don't want any of this. Um, they'd have a plan yeah. for the crowd, who was usually a smaller guy. And so they'd get uh-huh. him in the ring. He'd fight the wrestler. The wrestler would take a dive and the smaller guy would win the $10, which, of course, would go right back into the pockets of the carnival owner. Yeah. And suddenly yeah. the crowd would think, well, if, if this guy can beat the wrestler, then maybe I'm in with a chance and then business will start up again. So, um, <laughs> so like, that's the thing. You're, you're, you're staging wrestling for well to make money and the other way in which it was staged to make money at that time was in the pro ranks outside the carnivals because there were like um you know wrestling as combat was important but the problem was that a lot of the wrestlers had gotten so good that matches would last hours and hours and hours and that wasn't really very fun for the spectators mm-hmm. or the yeah. uh, or the performers so gradually it's just a couple what, of yeah. dudes hugging each other for a very intensely for a long time <laughs> yeah it's like an Audrey Harrison fight so um but, yeah. but gradually what began to happen was that they started to do what they call working the matches so they would mm-hmm. say okay we're going to wrestle for like 90 minutes which at the time was considered yeah. quite short and you yeah. know such and such is going to win and therefore we can manipulate betting markets we can tell stories etc yeah. etc yeah 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 <laughs> and uh yeah i mean that that kind of is what 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 really sort of blew up over the course of the of of the 20th century right but i mean like i was saying you know uh, when i when i came onto left twitter and i saw kind of how popular uh like pro wrestling seemingly was and when i saw like you you guys' podcast as well for example mm. uh that it's like a, a specific focus obviously on pro wrestling in japan 
Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Like, I mean, like the, 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 how did that come to be? And like, how did your interest in, in, in that kind of come about? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I started watching uh, WWF, like South Argent, uh, when mm-hmm. I was not quite as young as you were. Uh, I was um, 10 at the time, I think. And the mm-hmm. first show I watched was the 2001 Royal Rumble on uh, Channel 4. Wrestling used to be on Channel mm-hmm. 4 on oh uh, Sunday God. evenings. But yeah, Sunday Night Heat, and they'd have the big pay-per-view shows for we free on Channel 4. We have to go back. 4. We have to go back. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> never, never forget what they took from you. Um, and, um, and like the 2001 Royal Rumble is now near universally regarded as an all-timer of wrestling shows. Mm. It's a very good one to start Is with. Isn't that the one with, like, the, the... Like, where all the stars, like... The Rock, uh, Angles, Stone Cold... Uh, yeah, yeah, Triple like, H. They, they all had that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, like... And, and then, like, in the end, like... Didn't The Rock pin Kurt Angle to win... Uh, that was that was the next month. Um, that was uh, No Way Out 2001. That was the show. Right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, so the Royal Rumble was the month prior. And um, yeah, so the Royal, the Royal Rumble match for the uninitiated, basically 30 wrestlers come out at intervals and you eliminate your opponents by chucking them over the top rope and the last person in the match gets the, the title shot at, uh, at WrestleMania. And the last three that year was it's, Stone it's, Cold, it's, Kane it's and The Rock. It's the proto-Fortnite. So, like, it's the proto-Battle Royale, you know? Well, it, it, it literally is. I think that was my yeah. first exposure to WWE. Like, I think it might have been like the 2007-2006 Royal Rumble because like, yeah. I, I think my attention span wasn't enough for two guys in a ring, but I have four or five guys in a ring. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really easy to sell to, to people who don't watch wrestling because like, sometimes I have friends around and we'll have a sweepstake. So that really gets them into it. Like, okay, number 12 is your guy. And so everyone puts some money in. And mm. if your guy wins, then, uh, then you get the pot. And so that yeah, it's 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 really good if you like you don't know who any of these people are, but like just a succession of people coming out at intervals is in itself um uh, diverting. <laughs> so yeah, and yeah, battle royale is a term that comes from wrestling. Um, yeah. So um, the novel Battle Royale, the preface to that is um, a guy at a Japanese women's wrestling show. Um, so yeah, that's where the term comes from. And a battle royale is a type of match uh, related to yeah. But yeah, so that's where I got into. Uh, wrestling and the peak of my fandom when I was younger was like 2001 to uh, 2005 2006 and my best friend at school was really into it as well so that helped and then around about 2005 2006 um, you stopped being able to watch the big pay-per-view shows for free on Sky you had to pay for them and so Mm. my interest died off until about 2011 I sort of started checking the results again uh, feeling a bit nostalgic now I was doing my master's at the time which was quite stressful I had a lot of work on so practicing a bit of cod psychology on myself like I probably <laughs> wanted to regress a little bit to something I'd really enjoyed when I was younger <laughs> yeah. and I didn't have so much shit going on in my life um, and from I think 2012 was the year I started really discovering stuff outside of Dulului so that's when I got into Japanese wrestling because I'd heard on some internet uh, forums boards etc um, that oh the, the stuff that is happening in Japan is really good and it, it's completely different to Dulului. They have the big characters, but the matches are they're more dynamic and exciting. Um, mm. And so that's kind of where, how I got into into that. And nowadays it's extremely easy to watch pro wrestling from Japan. So many countries have uh, so many companies so we have um, uh, YouTube channels, uh, streaming services that you subscribe to. It's never been easier mm. to watch wrestling uh, yeah. from from across the Pacific. And yeah, so it's really just like Japanese wrestling. I just think it's better than the Western wrestling, really. That's not too much of a, a weave yeah. statement to make. <laughs> no, fair enough, fair enough. And and I mean, um, in terms of like 
the Japanese wrestling promotions, is it uh, mostly a roster of Japanese wrestlers or do they have wrestlers from all over the place? Well, it certainly it certainly is at the moment uh, because of COVID. But right. um, uh, tri- sure. not not so much actually. Like traditionally, um, I mean, yeah. the Japanese wrestling industry was relatively recent. So they didn't have a domestic wrestling industry in Japan until the 1950s. And mm-hmm. um, it was started by a guy called Rikidozan, who I know you said leave uh, plugs to the end, but I have actually written a novel about Rikidozan. So he's got like, <laughs> oh. um, cheeky, cheeky, uh, cheeky plug me there. So like he's, <laughs> he's a guy I've done a lot of research on. And he was he was a former sumo wrestler um, who he was taught to do pro wrestling by Americans mm. in Hawaii mm-hmm. and California. He came back to yeah. Japan and wrestling became kind of an overnight sensation uh, when it was him and his tag partner, um, a name you might be familiar with if you know about the Gracie family in MMA, Masahiko Kimura, who was a uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner who had a famous fight with Helio Gracie um, mm-hmm. at the time. And he, he'd done pro wrestling as well. And their opponents were a team called the Sharp Brothers, who were right. e- evil Americans, actually Canadian, but, you know, <laughs> same, same <laughs> diff. Um, and um, you can kind of see why that became so popular, because um, this was just after the Second World War. The, the nation had been quite traumatised by losing the Second World War, the atomic bombs. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. Uh, they want. They were obviously very keen on watching something where the Japanese guy would triumph over the evil Americans. It was a way mm. of working through the Second World War. Much the same that the Godzilla films were sort of metaphorical reckoning with with the A bombs. Um, yeah. So there's always been a Western presence in uh, Japanese wrestling. Like all of the big matches in the first couple of decades were Japan versus America or Japan versus <laughs> some foreigner. So it was always bound up with this kind of. I guess reimagining of the of the nationalist idea when you know Japan was not allowed to raise an army, so these energies mm. were kind of channeled mm-hmm. into pro wrestling to a large extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is that is super interesting, and like um, something I've sort of heard and 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 read about as well is how like you know we kind of make fun of weeaboo culture and whatnot, and like Western obsession, or in particular like American obsession with with Japanese culture and very particular aspects of Japanese culture, but like the Japanese are really obsessed with American culture yeah. as well. <laughs> well, no, no, good no, because like wasn't that wasn't that like a, a post-war thing? Because obviously, yeah, it Americans was, like, were I mean... stationed. I because I, I watched a, mm-hmm. watched a video about it where it was like um, the first, I think, the only uh, Japanese actress to win an Oscar. Like it was very much based in this like Hollywood did a lot of films that was sort of like you know filmed in Japan or like had Japanese uh, supporting cast in it it was like this weird symbiotic capitalistic relationship post-war so yeah, oh, yeah like a- absolutely I mean baseball um was not mm-hmm. big in Japan yeah. until yeah. after the war that's you know now Japan's the biggest country for baseball outside of the mm. U.S. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the adoption of American culture really wholesale after the after the Second World War was uh, quite staggering yeah. uh, in mm. its in its speed. And a lot of that is to do with how Japan Japan was um, very quickly brought back into the fold as uh, an American yeah. ally against communism. So like it yeah. was it, these intercultural um, exchanges. It was very much in the interest of the Americans to foment these. Yeah, and and I mean the reason I asked the question earlier about the the roster of um, Japanese pro wrestling promotions is because obviously like Japan also has like quite an established history with MMA as well Mm. and before UFC you had the Pride Fighting Championships which was a Japanese promotion and um, 
that was a completely diverse roster from from all over the place and uh that was like yeah people from yeah literally all over the world right um, yeah absolutely so... and um i mean pride is um uh, pride is was bound up with pro wrestling from its inception it was mm-hmm. created as a vehicle for a pro wrestler called nobuhiko takada to fight mm-hmm. and gracie now takada yeah. was uh he was the head of a group called uh union of wrestling forces international or, or uwfi which presented mm-hmm. itself as MMA. Now, it wasn't. It was pro mm-hmm. wrestling, but it was a more realistic kind that if you really wanted to believe very hard, you could, you could you know, mistake for a, uh, a real fight. Now, he sent one of his, uh, you know, he would do these grandstanding challenges, not just to the champions of other wrestling promotions, which he said weren't real, and, uh, but also to uh, luminaries from the MMA world. And there was an incident mm-hmm. where he sent uh, Yoji Anjo, um, a favourite of, uh, of the podcast. We reference him all the time, the poor bastard. Um, Takada <laughs> sent Anjo to the Gracie Dojo in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and um, to challenge Hickson to a fight. Hickson apparently thought he was fighting Takada and uh, <laughs> Hickson said a very, a very chilling statement. He said, if we do it in front of the media, the fight will end when you want. If we do it behind closed doors, it will end when I want. um, so anyway Anjo got his face pummeled into hamburger meat for about seven minutes straight and um, soon everyone was like well surely Takada's going to step up and fight Hickson and so Pride was the vehicle for that Um, Takada Mm -hmm. uh, the the fight is absolutely fucking hilarious if you've ever seen it the main event of the first Pride show um, it's obviously a whitewash Takada was no fighter Um, but then if you watch the second Pride show Takada's fighting this I think he was Canadian or American guy called Kyle Sturgeon and if you're thinking, who the hell was that? Well, that's exactly the point. Carl Sturgeon was like um, a, a patsy, he was a patsy, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. He was paid to lose to Takada because to, he'd been obliterated by Hickson to build Takada back up yeah. for the next yeah, fight yeah, yeah. and uh, and so yeah. on and so forth. So, yeah. Um, yeah, pro wrestling and MMA in Japan have really been won from uh, from its inception. Yeah, and I mean, like, Pride was uh, notorious for its kind of, it, like, really crazy, like, too good to be true kind of stories as well right like right from the beginning and yeah and, yeah the- and <laughs> like these storylines which are almost like from the world of wrestling anyway and like so that that's the thing like i mean how much of that was organic and how much of that was worked you know well yeah like exactly i mean um antonio Inoki, who we will probably talk about later when we get on to politics he was a pro wrestler mm-hmm. he was the matchmaker for pride a figurehead um but yeah absolutely and the freak show element of it was uh quite palpable. The first MMA fight I ever saw was Daiju Takase versus Manny Yabra. Now, Manny Yabra fought on the first UFC show as well. He was a about 700-pound sumo wrestler, um, an American guy, and um, that was the first MMA fight I ever saw. Because, like, you know, MMA fans, they like to get on their high horse about, you know, uh, grappling technique and jiu-jitsu <laughs> and all that stuff. No, the lizard part of their brain dictates that every MMA fighter at their core, they just want to see a thin guy fight a really fat guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I, I've only seen a few UFC matches. Like, um, like whenever like we watch it around our mates, there'll be like five, there'll be like ten matches before the main fight, and like the best <laughs> yeah. fight, the best fights are always like a skinny guy versus a big guy. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, the most you... unpredictable fight you'll ever see. Yeah, you can't do that in UFC now because they instituted uh, weight limits, uh, like yeah. they have in boxing. But uh, Japan traditionally just didn't give a shit if there's a hundred pound weight difference between the guys in the main event. Well, that's something for the little guy to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I mean, um, the, the the history of MMA anyway, like uh, the history of uh, how this type of martial arts came about, like um, I finally fi- finally got around to, to watching Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, uh, which was written and and, uh, and narrated by Felix Biedemann of, of Chapo Trap House. And it's something that I've I'd sort of been meaning to do for a long time. So uh, I'm going to preface this by saying that a lot of this knowledge is going to come from that. But it is, it is, it is a very good documentary. I'm going to... Highly, highly recommend that, that that our listeners do watch it because it's, it's very informative about uh, a lot of this stuff, and um, like how um, like jujitsu is is a, is a is a much older martial, form of martial arts, obviously in Japan. But then judo was invented in the nineteenth century by Kana Jigoro, uh, as because he was like too small to really do jujitsu. So yeah. like the whole idea of this of this type of martial art was to use your opponents weight and strength against them yeah. uh and to use these kinds of grappling techniques and to like go straight onto the floor you know like to to, to get your opponent onto the floor as quickly as possible um all of these kinds of things uh and 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 chokes and and, and grapples uh, and throws um like that was like the, the the whole uh basis of this of this form of martial arts in the first place and so like when you had like the first ufc as well for example you have like Royce uh Royce gracie um who's like a pretty small guy just like going in and just battering one of these people like ken shamrock <laughs> who's like this massive chiseled dude uh like like looks like like a cartoon character almost like how sort of like like ripped and and yeah like like a proper like bodybuilder's kind of physique and this like tiny brazilian dude in a, in a in a gi just like just vicious just goes straight for his legs gets him on the floor and within like a two minutes gets him to tap <laughs> yeah i mean as a, as, a, as a marketing strategy like the first ufc fc yeah. show was incredible yeah. i mean a vehicle to yeah. promote gracie jiu-jitsu by showing yeah. Yeah. it could beat any um any other kind of uh, of martial arts before there was such yeah. a thing as a mixed martial arts sort of yeah. discipline i guess it was it was literally yeah. the pub argument like it's crazy what if a, yeah, <laughs> what, what a boxer fought a sumo let's find out you know yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah it's like when you're when you're a kid and you've got your different action figures <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> It's like, you know, like uh, all these Marvel movies and stuff and uh, and how um, especially like as we've gotten further and further into the MCU, it's all about like these different people from the different movies, like kind of like meeting each other. And that's what the fans end up like creaming themselves over. Yeah. But like, um, I mean, uh, uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, like the, the whole basis of like MMA, I guess, was this, right? You know, like, what yeah, if you have pretty, a big guy fighting a small guy? Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> much. And I mean, it was very controversial. Um, yeah. In in the beginning, I mean, uh, the there was kind of a moral panic about what they called no holds barred fighting, mm. as it was yeah. known at the time. Um, John McCain getting involved. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's favorite John McCain, John McCain. who had, who'd, 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 who was uh, very happy to drop bombs on Vietnam. But it's suddenly, it's suddenly, it's it's like, yeah, you have MMA probably gone going a step too far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's a very, very, very good, very good point actually. I mean, like a Republican being hypocritical, Jesus, perish the thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and it kind of um, 
you know, UFC had a sort of underground following at the time, but mm-hmm. um, it's not yeah. really until Dana White um, and yeah. um, the Fertitta brothers bought the company yeah. that, I mean, yeah. they Dana White will ask, act like he isn't, but he's such a pro wrestling guy. Like, he, yeah. he <laughs> adopted a lot of the razzmatazz and showmanship from pro wrestling. Um, and yeah. really, you can chart, you know, the last 20 years has been the story of the rise of UFC and the, um, the mm. corresponding decline of interest in pro wrestling um, as yeah. Uh, yeah. a sort of mass culture thing. Yeah, yeah, that's something I wanted to, to, to move on to anyway, is, is precisely that, you know, like like in terms of like the timeline that you were talking about, you know, like around 2005 or six that you said you stopped watching pro wrestling. Like, hmm. yeah, so like I'd say, you know, I, when I moved back to Calcutta in 2003, and 2003 until 2006 when I was still living in Calcutta and I actually had a TV at home, um and like you could just watch uh all the pro wrestling on espn like and it was like Mm. just on just normal cable um and like it it was like really i was like properly into it at the time like i would watch it every single week and i was like following all the storylines and 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 everything (laughs) um and then yeah like after i sort of uh went away at 16 i uh stops watching at that point and then like when i started uni that's when i started noticing the 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 increasing popularity of ufc and and i hadn't even really heard of ufc before that point i would say um and yeah i think it was much more of a sort of underground thing which definitely had like a a a cult niche following Mm. uh but it was still pretty underground and obviously uh back then before like high speed broadband that you could like stream everything <laughs> at the drop of your hat kind of thing uh it was a lot more difficult to like you know get the latest shows and and sort of watch the latest shows and things like that and if it, like a pay-per-view meant it was pay-per-view yeah. you know you weren't pre- gonna I'm, fucking watch that i'm pretty you know? sure <laughs> ufc has always been pay-per-view hasn't it or it's always um, been some kind I, I think I think so. Yeah, certainly like the numbered UFC shows. Obviously, have the yeah. UFC on Fox, yeah. UFC on whatever. You know. But, yeah, because um, they treated yeah. it more like boxing than wrestling. In which yeah, like, if you want to yeah, see the main exactly. match, you have to pay to see it. Yeah, yeah. But I, that's I, the interesting thing with UFC as well is that like, and this is what they talk about in in, in the documentary as well is is about like how UFC has always kind of wanted to, on the one hand, gain the respectability of something like boxing, uh, but then also have like the appeal of being this freak show blood sport kind of yeah. thing you know like <laughs> which ground. like yeah which kind of like draws but but it, it can't have both and like that's kind of what's been shown is like um you know and and um like especially like after it started introducing like anti-doping um uh, sort of widespread anti-doping for example it's like obviously that's going to end up completely fucking over like a huge number of participants because like everyone you have to use steroids if you want to do something like that like otherwise like the kind of injuries that you that you get like you're never going to heal unless you have steroids basically you know you're never going to be able to get back into the ring in in any like reasonable period of time um so like shit like that you know which is obviously like part of the the drive to kind of make it more establishment and um uh and 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 respectable um you know like that that had ended up harming its own brand essentially right as well yeah and and the, and the same is true of uh, of wrestling it's never really yeah. been 
uh, taken seriously. C- certainly WWF, uh, since it became the yeah. preeminent uh, wrestling yeah. company in America, that's never been yeah. taken seriously uh, by the establishment either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, like with with WWF, like what's what's interesting is is also like the number of people from that world who who did actually enter politics, for example. Um, uh, yes, but most, I mean... most most famously, obviously Jesse Ventura being the uh, governor of uh, what, Minnesota, right? Minnesota, uh, yeah, yeah. M- Minnesota, Je- exactly. Jesse Ventura is a really interesting guy. Actually, <laughs> almost because... punched Chris Kyle, which I have to respect. Well, actually, no, this is this Jesse Ventura is a, a fascinating character. Well, actually, this is this is the thing about um, uh, Chris Kyle. Um, you, you're almost correct. Like he actually. Um, he actually won a settlement against the estate of um, American sniper author and mass murdering psychopath Chris Kyle yeah. because <laughs> Kyle had done an interview alleging that he had punched Ventura out in a bar for disrespecting mm. the troops, which Ventura was able to prove had never happened. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's very good. But Ventura is like a genuinely significant figure in uh, American politics because yeah. um you know, when he became governor of Minnesota, he, he wasn't a complete political novice, right? Um, mm. He had been mayor of his hometown. Um, so mm. he had at least a little bit of experience. Um, but yeah. he won in 1998 as the uh, candidate of the Reform Party. So mm-hmm. a, a third, and, you know, third party candidate wins in American politics are very rare, as, you, as you'll no doubt yeah. aware. Um, yeah. But he was the first political candidate to do a campaign on the internet. Like mm. this was 1998, so like gen- genuinely innovative um, pioneer, yeah. Um, Jesse Ventura, <laughs> yeah, 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 and um, he's he's kind of stayed um, in politics to an extent. He considered a run to be the Green Party candidate for president in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 pulled out in the end, but um, yeah, he, he's one of these guys. He's a he's a libertarian politically, which. Um, sort of means he's, he's got good politics on some things and not so good politics on other things. But he's, <laughs> yeah. he's one of these libertarians who actually has libertarian principles mm-hmm. in that he's not one of these who says, oh, that's government overreach whenever the Democrats yeah. are in power, but basically turns into a fascist whenever the president is uh, Republican. And yeah. he um, he was a very public uh, opponent of uh, waterboarding during the uh, mm-hmm. war on terror. He, he famously mm-hmm. said, and a very colourful quote here, which he's always good for, uh, he said, if you give me one hour, a waterboard and Dick Cheney, I'll have him confessing to the Sharon Tate murders. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, Ventura is one. Based. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. Thing, like, like, that's the thing. Obviously, you know, someone listening to this will cancel me on Twitter. But, like, Ventura is one of those libertarians who, whenever I've seen him in interviews, he sounds like he sounds pretty sound. Like, he, like he does have dodgy <laughs> views on some things, but, like, he does seem just like a chill old guy compared yeah, to most I mean, wrestlers. I mean, like, he is. And yeah, as as I mean, as uh, I, I recently read uh, some uh, Noam Chomsky on uh, anarchism, and yes, yeah, he's argued libertarianism being a right wing thing is completely an American phenomenon. Like mm. it, oh, has, course, it has been, you know, not in in you know the sensible countries of the world, it's been you know anarcho syndicalists, um, um, etc. Sure. So yeah, yeah, I think Ventura is a guy you can um, get on with. I think. He is overall a good thing, um, but like he's not the he's not the only one. I mean, if we're talking mm-hmm. about um, politicians who have been involved with wrestling, wrestlers who've been involved in politics, there are so the WWE Hall of Fame has a celebrity wing, which is mm-hmm. for people who weren't wrestlers, but they have had some sort of notable involvement with WWE. So uh, another former governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, is in it. 
Um, now, this is a bit cheeky because he's he made two appearances on Delilah programming. He appeared on an episode of SmackDown yeah, I was in 1999. Say, like, yeah. like <laughs> Arnie is not a wrestler. No, he, no he's not. And he, he did an intro for Triple H at WrestleMania one year in character as the Terminator. Um, yeah. So, some, an, a politician who, um, another celebrity turned politician, actually, who has had more involvement with Delilah is a certain Donald J. Trump. Donald, um, Donald Trump. So, I was, that's what I was yeah. going to say. Like, if, if Arnie's a wrestler, then Donald Trump is also a wrestler. Donald Trump, <laughs> Donald has, he's taken a Stone Cold Stunner. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean the, 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 that one where, like, he shaves Vince McMahon's hair is very funny. It's very <laughs> funny, yeah. And like, that legitimately wait. did huge business. That was one of the most purchased WrestleMania pay-per-views of the 2000s, specifically because of the feud between uh, Trump and uh, and Vince McMahon, who really is a guy we need to talk about, actually. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, this, yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting yeah. character. Exactly. That, because what, to say the least. What, 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 yeah, what, what I wanted to say is that, you know, like, when, you know, when, when Trump came into, into the public spotlight in, well, I mean, since whenever, but I'm, I'm talking specifically in, in, in 2016 with the presidential run, hmm. um, like, his... Like his his public persona, that 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 character, which he very much sort of, which was very much like the the foundation of the whole campaign, you know, was his character. Yeah. Um, and like that comes straight from the world of wrestling, right? That comes mm. from straight from the world of like this kind of overt spectacle, and it is very reminiscent of someone like Vince McMahon, right? Mm. You know, like so, like people like to say that oh, this like this person reminds you of like Donald Trump. This person reminds you of Donald Trump. No, like this person reminds you of Vince McMahon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Vince exactly. McMahon is like a sort of proto-Trump in a way, like in 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 well, in in many ways actually. Well, like Vin- um, Vince McMahon is like if you got an 80s Wall Street guy and filled him with steroids. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, which, because that's, that's what Trump is. He's just like an 80s Wall Street business guy. Like, he, like he had, they're that archetype, that over-exaggerated Vince, like, Mc, Vince McMahon is basically guy. those Ben Garrison cartoons of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. jacked. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's the reason that I think why people were so into the idea of him and uh, Vince McMahon feuding is because they were so yeah. similar. They were these real yeah. larger than life <laughs> billionaires who didn't conform to the idea of what you thought a billionaire should be because they were very crude and vulgar and, and, <laughs> yeah. and very Hollywood, very showbiz, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. and, and actually, the two of them are are still close. I mean, um, Trump's wife, Lin- uh, sorry, uh, Vince's wife, Linda, um, who yeah. uh, has held many executive roles within WWE, um, now, she had um, not one but two failed runs to win a Senate seat for the Republican <laughs> Party in Connecticut, uh, which is one of, the, one of the bluest states in America. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> she spunked about $80 million on the oh. campaigns between them. If you, if you want a good laugh, I would recommend... It's like when at... Suzanne Moore ran against Diane Abbott. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> on a slightly grander scale, I think. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you want a good laugh, like, find the picture of Linda McMahon's concession speech in which Vince is in the background next to Triple H and Vince looks like he's about to burst into tears. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that, now you know what, what picture we're going to use for the uh, for the Oh, yeah, oh, oh God, God yeah. cover up. that way. What's the image? Um, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, Linda McMahon concession. Uh, concession. Uh, I think you'll, I think I'm keeping fine. this in. I'm keeping the typing in. Vince, Linda McMahon, Vince McMahon crying. Oh, yeah, Vince McMahon crying. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, that could be a lot of things like, you know, Stone Cold, the time Stone Cold turned to shoot him with a pistol. <laughs> or, or, as I said earlier, the time when, um, uh, what is it, Stone Cold put cement in his car. And, oh, like, yeah, 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 that's, that's the thing. But the, 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 time other... when his, the, the time when he was killed, when his limo was blown up, and then he had to make an appearance <laughs> days after because Chris Benoit killed his family. Yeah. Oh, oh that, Jesus. Oh, that's, that's the other thing, actually. Um, when that storyline happened, um, Donald Trump phoned him up to ask if he was okay. <laughs> um, so that, that's great Jesus. but like the, the I mean Linda McMahon's failed attempts to become a senator uh, were no bar to her staying in politics because um, she actually was in Trump's cabinet um, as the Secretary of State for Small Business. Now, quite what Dulluluie and small businesses have to do with each other, I've no idea. And like, it's one of these things where, like, yeah, the, the US cabinet... WWE is the ultimate mum and pub shop, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've well, got it, a mum, you've got a pub. Yeah, well, it certainly was at one point, but not in fucking 2016. Um, and, um, you know... Was it ever, though? That's the thing. I mean, like, uh, Vince McMahon's granddad was, like, a national boxing promoter, Jess, Jess McMahon, what, and then, like, what, his dad, yeah. like, started like the first like televised televised um televised wrestling in america as yeah, well yeah i mean it was always pretty showbiz but like certainly i mean wluf was founded in uh, 1963 it started out as a mm-hmm. small regional promotion in uh, mm-hmm. new york and pennsylvania and there have been times of great financial success um such as mm-hmm. in the late 80s the hulkamania era yeah. when Hogan yeah. was on top but in the early 90s Dulluie had kind of been reduced to running shows in uh, high school gymnasia and uh, serving mm. like limp ham sandwiches at catering. So like <laughs> it's kind of had this this DIY um, sort of vibe to it at points in its history. Mm. Again, not now, but um, but at points. Uh, mm. But the the I mean, bring bringing things back to Japan. Um, there's uh, there's been multiple Japanese wrestlers who've been into politics as well. Mm. Um, so. Um, uh, Shinobu Kandori was a women's MMA pioneer and pro wrestler. She's in the House of Councillors, which is the upper house of uh, the Japanese parliament. Uh, Hiroshi Hase, who was a pro wrestler in the 90s, he actually served in the cabinet um, as the Minister for Education and Sports. Um, there's been more than one uh, masked wrestler in Japan who has served in prefectural assemblies wearing their mask. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> they, they just didn't take it off. But like the, the main guy, um, the main wrestler turned uh, politician in Japan was a fellow called Antonio Inoki, who um, we alluded to earlier. He was the guy who was the matchmaker yeah. for Pride. And mm-hmm. to say Inoki is, yeah, he to say he's the Japanese Vince McMahon is maybe a bit reductive, but he's certainly <laughs> as crazy as Vince McMahon. So um, <laughs> amongst the things Inoki has done, um, he got suspended from the Japanese parliament for 30 days because he would not stop going to North Korea. Um, <laughs> in in 1990, he um, personally negotiated the release of three Japanese hostages from Iraq with Saddam Hussein. Like he he flew to Iraq <laughs> off his own back to do that. Um, oh he had a boxer versus wrestler fight with Muhammad Ali in 1976. <laughs> an actual fight, by the way. Like not he, not he a word Muhammad Ali. Match. He fought Muhammad Ali. Yeah, he, wow. he Muhammad Ali. It's, it's really the, the um, this actually kind of goes back to what we were saying. The background to it's really funny because Inoki made his name as a wrestler by staging these matches in which he would wrestle, um, you know, uh, judoka, jiu-jitsu guys. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, MMA wasn't a thing. There wasn't much money, so if you could pay someone a big payday to you know, forsake the amateur ideal and take a dive in a pro wrestling match, then you could find people to do it. And the culmination of this was he engaged Muhammad Ali for a fight and said, I'll pay you $6 million 
to lose to me in a pro wrestling match. And then at some point, <laughs> um, uh, Ali got, or his entourage, got cold feet about the idea. And then um, they said, we're only doing it if it's a real fight. And also with the rules where I think Inoki wasn't allowed to strike above the waist mm-hmm. and he wasn't allowed to execute like a, any of his throws, which would actually hurt you. So Inoki's gone from... <laughs> thinking, I'm going to look like a hard man by beating Muhammad Ali in a wrestling match, thinking, fuck, I've got to fight Muhammad Ali for real, and also <laughs> the rules that favour him. And the fight was actually a draw, because um, what happened, Inoki kind of, um, well, Ali sort of threw a haymaker, and Inoki was like, oh, fuck, I'm getting out of the way of this, and kind of fell over, <laughs> and he ended up on his back. Ali came to you know punch him. Inoki kicked him in the legs to stop him from uh, getting him, and kept doing that for the whole 15 rounds. Um, Ali landed five punches in the whole thing. Inoki landed 60 leg kicks. Um, now, if you know about MMA, it's like 60 leg kicks. That's a lot. Yeah, Ali developed blood clots in his uh, yeah. in his legs because of that. And he was so fucked up from it that when he met Queen Elizabeth the next month, she asked him if he was all right. Um, so, um, yeah, this guy's, uh, yeah, Inoki, absolutely wild. And... Um, yeah, a, a guy with, shall we say, some interesting politics. Uh, he keeps asking the head of the self-defence forces if they found any UFOs. Um, he, at one, one point, represented this far-right party, so he's a bit fash as well. Um, yeah. he's, he's created a, his own religion, which is part Islam, part Buddhism. Like, it's just... <laughs> All right. Yeah, I could have written a novel about this. I feel, I feel like we should just do like we should just do another episode about this guy yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, he he, he wrestled Fucking a guy up. for two and a half um, hours on that, a deserted that, that, island in a reenactment of some notable samurai duel. Yeah, that is the thing. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. A politician, really big fan of Kurosawa, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, Ventura is the tip of the iceberg in this respect well it's like i think everyone is predicting that some point in the next 10 years dwayne the rock johnson's probably gonna try and stand. it's gonna happen surely yeah like the way he's been like controlling his image over the last decade he's like oh yeah there was that oh did everyone did anyone ever see that video where like he was interviewing joe biden and kamala harris <laughs> it just cuts from them and you just see him like sitting on a chair with like both his, holding both his hands like an interviewer and it's yeah like... he seems very much like he'd be like an establishment den kind of yeah, kind of yeah. Like, oh yeah absolutely like... I mean he was once asked to describe his um, poli- uh, political position and he just said freedom yeah. patriot <laughs> uh, he's like the he's like the 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 Jay Z of uh, of of wrestling, <laughs> really. <laughs> yeah, look, his public image is like the, the, it's the not just enough of edge, wrestling. Like, yeah, he's calculated to appeal to everyone and no one. So, oh, like, oh, yeah. God. fucking legit. Yeah, like, yeah no, it, it, um, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the. I, I mean, yeah, the, you don't you don't sort of cultivate that kind of nice guy image over such a long time. Well, especially for, because. Because like, no, like, like he used to be a heel, didn't he? The Rock. He like, used to be a heel. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the yeah. yeah. Um, he was he, like an arrogant, uh, an arrogant douchebag. That was like mm-hmm. the the reason he got popular. He was so good at it. The crowd yeah. started to cheer him. Um, yeah, it's really yeah. been like the last. <laughs> it's really been like the last decade since he's become a full on movie star where. He has gone because he was in movies like you know before twenty ten, but like ever since like that fifth Fast and Furious, like it catapulted him. Yeah, like, like, like it that's was. When he it it, it all starts. It, it all starts. You ca- you cannot 
forget where it all starts, though, which is the Mummy Returns. The Mummy Returns. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't a great start. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, like, no. a bit of a That's oh, the CG rock happened. from the Mummy. From the Mummy Returns is is incredible. The Scorpion King. Um, yeah, I mean, and... well, the, the, apparently the reason it was so bad was because they were meant to do a bit of like motion capture with his actual face, but like he caught something and he was shitting his guts out for the entire shoot. <laughs> so, like, um, but yeah, no, he's done well for himself. I remember when uh, a few years ago I was. Um, at home watching uh, the Jumanji reboot with my dad yeah. and my mum came oh, yeah. into the room and she saw Dwayne Johnson was on screen and she just went huh, is The Rock in many films? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the highest paid actor in the world, where have you been? Um, but then, then again, but, no, but I, I can sympathise with that because The Rock stars in a lot of movies that look like the same movie. Like he's yeah. been in like 20 movies set in a jungle where he wears yes. the same face shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like, the same tight face shirt. With with Kevin Hart. Oh yeah, yeah. with Kevin Hart. Like I can forgive I, like I can understand thinking he hasn't been in a lot of movies where most of them are the same generic actor. Sort of it's either he's in a jungle or he's in a car. Yeah, know, it's one yeah, of the yeah two he things. is. We're, we're going to get Pres- President The Rock and then we're going to get President John Cena. And oh, then... yes. Yes, President John Cena. I mean, yeah, because something that, that, we, that we were mentioning sort of before we started recording as well, um, you know, like one of the moments that I don't think will ever leave my my memory is uh john cena making the announcement <laughs> of the of the 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 cap the capture and compromise to a permanent end <laughs> and i love the fucking language that these people use like we have ascertained his position sir like you know like um we have um they have compromised to a permanent end osama bin laden and then yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole crowd just goes crazy and starts chanting USA, USA, <laughs> and it's just incredible. Like, like similarly, like to how the Rock like announced on Twitter like a few hours before he was actually uh, b- before the announcement was made. He's like, I've just received news that makes me proud to be an American tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, guaranteed, all of WWE knew about Osama bin Laden's death before, like the Secret Service. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, this is the thing because, like, like John Cena, like, that was at the end of um, a pay per view. Um, like, that was just like, you, you know, the face sent yeah. the crowd home happy. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, John Cena just like, what if he'd been sitting on it? And it's like, by the way, just before we go home, got a bit of an announcement to make. Um, but <laughs> I, I think you, that... know, you, you, you guys have surely seen that that infamous scene that has that has gone viral from uh, Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom. Where, yes, yes, uh, yes, 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 Where the, the the characters they all break the announcement of uh, Osama bin Laden's capture and 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 um, <laughs> and execution uh, on on the on an airplane and um yeah uh genuinely one of the one of the worst scenes ever in tv history yeah, you, surely you, you know uh, what i said earlier that every tv drama has better scripting than delivery i'll take it back no yeah no, 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 no. wwe does it 10 no, times what better I was gonna even say though it's is, jingoistic I mean, like, as fuck it's like, aaron yeah. sorkin has nothing has nothing on, on wwe i mean like <laughs> and if he actually wanted to be like remotely realistic he would have fucking put john cena there you know? yeah exactly he would have set that scene wearing the jean shorts the ring, and you know? shirtless <laughs> 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 but, but how perfect is it that the man to announce 
the death of Bin Laden to the American public was a shirtless, muscle-bound meathead pro wrestler. Like, is, is that not <laughs> the, so the America writ it's large? So um, that it's is, absolutely yeah. so good. It, it kind of goes back to actually something else I wanted to talk about, which is the extent to which Dula Louis has used um, storylines to uphold, mm. I guess, ruling class ideologies. Because yeah. there was, there was a, uh, I think, talking about 2003, it's quite mm. interesting because there's, there's a video I sent you before. And so, mm. like, um, you know, Dula Louis has not been afraid to uh, play politics with its um, storylines. WrestleMania 7 was headlined by Hulk Hogan defending the honour of America against Sergeant Slaughter, a um, uh-huh. a drill sergeant turned Iraqi sympathiser. Oh, uh-huh. um, it's like the, Modern um, Warfare 2. That's, that's, like, yeah. that's the plot of Homeland. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it is. So, like, it's, it's um, this Hulk Hogan wrestling this out-of-shape old man who's like, Pledging allegiance to great leader Saddam Hussein, and oh. um, so yeah, they, 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 they do this stuff. But and when the Gulf War Two kicked off, um, otherwise known as the War on Terror, um, in two thousand three, Dulouis to say they went buck wild with it is an understatement. Oh, so uh, one of my favourite acts around this time was a heel tag team called La Resistance, who were uh, <laughs> sort of uh, preening effect Frenchmen. Um, actually, yeah, yeah, actually played yeah, by Quebecers. This will become something of a theme. Wrestlers uh, playing nationality they're not actually from. Um, so, uh, and of course, this was um, the time that the Conservative government of Jacques Chirac in France had had the temerity yeah. to suggest that maybe um, America should wait to get the UN say so before invading another sovereign nation, and ah. maybe they should uh, wait to see whether there actually were weapons of mass destruction and let the weapons inspectors do their job. Obviously, this was a massive affront. And uh, this was... Is this and this where the whole to... freedom fries... Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is like yeah, the yeah, French were... Yeah. The French were arguably more hated than the Iraqis around this time yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. In, in America. But like the video I sent you guys was... This is my one of my favourite um, things to have ever happened in It's wrestling. incredible. For it's all the one incredible. reason. So uh, pic- picture the scene. Um, uh, so... Dulu-Louis decided to stage, moderated by uh, legendary wrestler and commentator Jerry the King Lawler, a verbal debate around the morality of invading Iraq on Monday Night Raw. Um, the, the, um, doing... Tonight we're going to have a debate. It's just, it's so good. Like, I mean, like, this is, you know those debate bros, like the YouTube debate yes. bros? And, and so on. Like, this is what it should all be like. I mean, like, then it would just be, like, ten times fucking better. Um, we need to get, yeah. we need to get Jordan Peterson versus John Cena in the ring. <laughs> Uh, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like this. I mean, if the free marketplace of ideas also ends in a brawl, you know, yeah, like <laughs> ex- exactly. Jordan Peterson's the only person to have more meat in his diet than pro wrestlers. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the combatants in this uh, in this um, verbal jousting were um, Big Papa Pump Scott Steiner um, making the case that America should invade Iraq, and uh, Christopher Nowinski, who is not not really a his, his career ended up. Uh, being cut short because of uh, concussions. He, he actually like founded a research institute uh, into uh, concussions and has actually saved like countless lives through his research. So like, yeah, seemingly <laughs> yeah. a, a good bloke, but like, yeah, he was a pro wrestler at this time and he was taking the case that uh, we shouldn't have made Iraq. And so he's there making, and like his character was a sort of uh, prissy Harvard graduate and he actually went to Harvard. <laughs> Um, oh, so fair. like someone that wrestling fans are like already predisposed to absolutely hate. <laughs> so, so he's there making all these like you know quite. I mean, just 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 yeah. just as an aside though, it is a good thing to reflexively hate someone who went to Harvard. 
Oh, well, like, yeah, yeah. It is, that, 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 is, that, is, that is a reasonable, that is a reasonable assumption to make. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. And, you, you know, sometimes Vince McMahon is right, all right? So, um, so, so Nowinski is there making all these, like, you know, quite reasonable liberal arguments about the rule of law and stuff like that. Scott Steiner, meanwhile, is is just saying, well, we're... we're as, I've, as, been many, I've been to many countries... Yeah, well, no, he doesn't say but that. But I he... know that America is by far the greatest country in the world. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he doesn't say I've been to a lot of countries. He says I've wrestled a lot of countries. <laughs> you know, and um, now the thing is, like, now obviously this was intended to be like, you know, pretty sincere. It wasn't intended as a burlesque of the of the debates that were going on. But like Scott Steiner's arg- like meathead arguments, like we should be able to invade Iraq to like get revenge and kick ass. Like those were the arguments yeah. being advanced by politicians of, oh, the, yeah, of both yeah. main parties. Like this was yeah. realer than I think it intended to be. But like and it's yeah. really funny because like anyway, Nowinski like, you know, his all his reasonable points are obviously like booed to high hell by the crowd, and so he sets two hundred and fifty pounds Samoan men on Scott Steiner. <laughs> I, I, I'd have gone to the fucking debate society at university if that's how they ended. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and this didn't even stop. Like um, there was a um, Arjun. Do you remember a wrestler? Because it would have been about the time you were watching back in uh, back in India. Do you, do you remember a wrestler called Muhammad Hassan? No, I don't actually. Probably for the best. Uh, so Muhammad Hassan. <laughs> no. <was> a, um, <laughs> I love that Connors is like you can see into the future. You know where this is going. Like you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, Mohammed Hassan was a uh, Arab American wrestler, actually played by an Italian American. There it is again. Um, so um, yeah, he, he wasn't an Arab. He wasn't even. A, he wasn't even a Muslim. <laughs> um, and uh, so his character, well, he's so there's a kind of revisionist history about it that says that WWE. Um, they they intended it as a, a face, so a face in wrestling then going is the good guy, right? They intended right. it as a good guy, and then the crowd weren't having it, so they turned him heel. And I think that's giving Dulu way more credit than they deserve because, <laughs> like, the character is originally like at least relatively new on it. His original sort of vignettes to tease his arrival were saying, you know, I, uh, you know, Arab Americans, we're not we're not all terrorists, and if Americans don't accept that they're going to learn the hard way so he was like he was already a heel he was a sort of menacing presence <laughs> yeah. but like clearly somewhere along the line vince mcmahon decided that was a bit too nuanced so like fuck it make him a terrorist so yeah of course of course yeah so there was a um particular episode of dulu smackdown in which he uh set uh four mysterious men in balaclavas on the Undertaker to oh, um, and then made off with the Undertaker. Now at the time, SmackDown was taped, so it would air um, a few days after it was taped. Now it just so happened that the air date of that episode was July the seventh, two thousand and five, and oh um, my god, not the best timing. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and that led to the Muhammad Hassan character being scrapped because oh, yeah, I mean it was in bad taste to begin with. And then, yeah. like, wow. to air that the night of an actual terror attack. I mean, it wasn't quite as bad as when TNA, another wrestling company, had an Iranian-American wrestler, and his entrance music started with the sound effect of a plane hitting a building. Oh, my God. Oh, but still pretty bad. Do you see why people, you know, have it in their minds that wrestling is somehow fundamentally conservative? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's that um, uh, Netflix show... Um, I think it was called Glow, right? Yeah, Gorgeous Ladies gorgeous, of Wrestling, yes. Yeah, gorgeous, gorgeous Ladies ladies of Wrestling, which is based on a real-life promotion of, of women's wrestling in the 1980s. Um, I think I only watched the first two seasons. Mm. I don't know how much longer it went on for. I think one um, more season, knowing that. But, um, 
I quite liked it to be honest, but I I I thought like the one the one thing I liked most about it probably was like how it was like a real sort of parody of like Reaganite, like Reagan era of like national stereotypes, for example, mm. you know, like I mean, you had this like this brown girl playing this character called Beirut, you know. Yeah, there was the, um, <laughs> like, the African American wrestler who was the welfare queen. Um, yeah, was, yeah, the like, African American wrestler who's a welfare queen. Yeah, you know, like you've got you this know. like this, um, and then like the main character plays like this uh, this this Russian. Right, you know, like who's this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say it's a parody, but like it's based on a real wrestling show. Yeah, yeah. Those characters existed, like those. Those were yeah, 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 that... wrestling personas. <laughs> like it, it seems like a parody now. I was like, no, this was this was a yeah. thing. No, um, no, no. That I, I did, parody is not what I meant because, I, like I yeah. said, I, I know it, it, it is based on like a real life promotion. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, like how it kind of like really hit home at those stereotypes, and I, I thought like that was just hilarious. I mean, like how, yeah. uh, like, and, and it really speaks to like that particular time as well, and a lot of the. Uh, a lot of the kind of um, yeah stereotypes that were in the, the the national discourse at the time, I guess. Yeah, I mean Vince's politics are kind of they can be malleable. He'll put whatever on screen he thinks is going to make him money. I mean he is a Republican, there is no doubting that. Yeah. But mm. he yeah. has butted heads with the right wing establishment at times. In the uh, in the early two thousands, there was a faction called Right to Censor. And uh, at, at that time, WWF, as it was called then, was being criticised by a sort of self-appointed kind of Mary Whitehouse type group called uh, the Parents Television Council. They took aim at things like mm. Jerry Springer and South Park. And they didn't like mm. WWE because of the um, the blur and the violence and the, the raunchy content, the bad language, Stone Cold flipping mm. the bird at everyone that he, that he saw. <laughs> and uh, particularly they didn't like um, Val Venus, whose character was that he was a, a porn star. And uh, <laughs> the Godfather, whose character was that he was a pimp, and yeah. um, so Vince decided to create a faction called the Right to Censor, which is led by a guy called Stephen Richards, who was a always kind of a cult leader, um, and uh, he brainwashed um, Val Venus and the Godfather, who was renamed the Goodfather after that, and made them sort of these moral guardians. And this is classic Vince yeah, yeah, yeah. genius, right? Because like he's basically taking the piss out of people who uh, were opposed <laughs> to him, while at the same time, like, capitulating to one of their demands, because, it, yeah, he did get yeah. rid of the porn star and the pimp, like, yeah. as part of yeah. a storyline. Yeah. It's so clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the thing is, though, his politics are, you know, again, we'll say, like, he, he does whatever makes him money, because I, I wanted to talk about um, his uh, dealings with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia in, mm. uh, in recent years, because, like, mm. I don't know if you guys, because, like, this did make the news, um, a few years ago, like, is this something you guys particularly heard about at the time that uh, that they were doing this? The the WWE were putting on a show in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, and they'd like entered this deal with the Saudi government. I think I'd heard bits and pieces about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds vaguely familiar, but then that's the thing. I feel like there's been quite a few, like, a lot of those countries have done a lot of sports washing. They have, yeah. It's uh, like, I mean, yeah. in various forms. Like that's the thing. Like MMA has been part of that. Football, yeah. obviously, has been a part of mm. that. Like, uh, so yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's quite funny to um, see sports washing done with something that's not actually a sport. But um, yeah, the, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think people's criticism of WWE's um, work in Saudi Arabia, I don't think it's so much aimed at them for 
going to Saudi Arabia in the first place because like WWE is a big amoral corporation like it's going to run yeah. shows in a lot of countries I don't think yeah. you can expect that they're not going to do that right yeah, but yeah, yeah. the real really the 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 reason they got criticized for it is because these shows are explicitly propaganda for the Saudi yeah. government um it's yeah. part of yeah, something yeah, yeah. called the Vision 2030 project which is uh, mm. Prince Mohammed bin Salman's um, initiative to uh, mm. market Saudi Arabia as this modern progressive country, but like, and so WWE running shows with these packages about um, you know all the you know the supposed advances they're making in uh, in Saudi Arabia and all that stuff, but like the um, the amount of money is eye watering. Like, so it's a ten mm. year contract at the moment, and over the course of this contract, WWE are being paid one billion dollars by the Saudi government. Um, in total, to run these shows, like yeah. just an obscene amount of cash. It's really funny yeah. if you look yeah. at Dunlewe's yeah. quarterly financials. Um, mm-hmm. There's a little tiny bar uh, with representing the profit in the quarters they're not running Saudi show, and then a great big. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, to say their profitability is largely based around Saudi Arabia at the moment is mm. uh, putting it lightly. And this kind yeah. of attracted a bit of controversy until um, Jamal Khashoggi was uh, was uh, chopped up in the Turkish consulate. About three weeks before WWE was due to run a show there. Mm. Wow. And they went ahead nice. with it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this yeah. was this was before the Western governments decided that Saudi Arabia could have a little bit of extrajudicial murder as a treat. And there was like a lot of <laughs> um there was a lot of outcry about it and WWE were like they couldn't mention Saudi Arabia on screen on like Monday Night Raw without the crowd mm-hmm. booing the shit out of it. Even if it, if it was The Undertaker someone who was, like, very widely respected. Um, yeah. As soon as he mentioned Saudi Arabia, they just boo the shit out of him. And um, yeah. it's uh, it's quite... It's, but, and, like, the thing is, and we said about, like, you know, what's the appeal of wrestling for leftists? I mean, very clearly a lot of people with left-wing instincts did watch wrestling because, I mean, there's a, a, a Kevin Mann who um, runs the Attitude Era podcast and How To Wrestling, which are two of my favourite wrestling podcasts. He actually got interviewed on the BBC World Service about it. And the, mm-hmm. like... The extremely posh interviewer was like seemingly very surprised that uh, wrestling fans of all people would purport to care about human rights um, injustices in uh, in Saudi Arabia, but like yeah. they did care about it, and it's also kind of it's um it also led to probably the funniest thing to have happened in the last ten years of wrestling, um and I really must talk about it because like every time I tweet about it it does numbers because wrestling fans find it so funny it's kind of <laughs> at this point so the Saudi um, government television. Uh, service, uh, you know, the state broadcaster is in charge of the broadcast, really. So WWE yeah. mm-hmm. co-produces them. And so when they first did these shows, they weren't allowed uh, women wrestling on the show. That was a no-no. Um, yeah. They uh, And there was actually a big shitstorm where they almost pulled the plug because WWE ran a video package and they, there was a couple of women wrestling in it. And they're like, oh no, we can't have that. They did They did relent on this, the Saudis. Um, they said, okay, we can have women's wrestling matches, but they, ha- they, they have to be covered up. And so the Dulului seems to um, just put them in like the the the, the horniest PVC catsuits you have ever seen in your life. <laughs> so, so like, um, you know, while obeying the letter of the law. Um, you know, but like the Saudis had um, three requests for them in terms of what wrestlers they wanted them to bring over. Clearly the person who was managing this for the Saudi government was a kind of old school wrestling fan. He said, right, I want to see The Undertaker the Ultimate Warrior, and Yokozuna. Now, mm. out of those men, two of them are dead. All right? the, the Ultimate Warrior died in, um, I think it was 2013, 
Uh, you're he right, passed yeah. away. No, 2014, he passed away. Yokozuna's been dead since the fucking 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and so to kind of mollify the Saudis um, they did a, a Royal Rumble on the show and they brought out this guy called Hiroki Sumi who was a retired sumo wrestler and he'd never wrestled before and he hasn't wrestled since <laughs> they just brought out this he's known as Fokazuna um, by, by some wrestling fans colloquially they just brought out this guy who's like well they've requested uh, they've requested a big fat Japanese guy and the one they wanted is dead like ah fuck it they won't know the <laughs> Um, so yeah, you say they just, brought out Rikishi or someone. Oh yeah, well R- 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 Rikishi. Yeah, well I mean he's uh, he's um, I think Yokozuna's cousin. Um, oh really? Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much because Yokozuna um, wasn't actually Japanese. His name was fucking Rodney. Fucking uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rodney. Rodney. Yeah, he was. Um, he was um, Samoan. Kids like, middle name. Yeah, exactly. And um, and uh, yeah, pretty much all these Samoan wrestlers are. Uh, that Dolly Part are related to The Rock in some way, like Rikishi, The Rock. Yokozuna, yeah, yeah, I know that. Roman I Reigns. know exactly. Yeah, yeah Rikishi and The Rock are related. Yeah, I know that. yeah, Yokozuna. He's also part of the family. Yeah, they're, they're like it's a mm-hmm. huge uh, dynasty. Um, right. So yeah, I find it really. What funny. is with these like dynasties in like wrestling and fighting though? Like the Gracie family, like the um like the mcmahon's like yeah like it's 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 fascinating. Like I I, I don't know. Like I don't know how many other sports this kind of dynastic thing exists in. Well, I guess not many because, like, you know, most sports are at least broadly meritocratic, whereas wrestling obviously <laughs> doesn't have to be. So if if some <laughs> famous wrestler's son uh, wants to get into the sport, he probably will get a contract with the WWE. Like, Rey Mysterio's son's wrestling in the moment. Bless him, he's not that good. And, like, he certainly <laughs> would. In the same way that Frank Lampard wouldn't have got the Chelsea job if he'd not been called Frank Lampard. Like, Rey Mysterio's son's, like, if he was not... Um, I was going to say if his last name was Mysterio, his last name's obviously not fucking Mysterio, but like, um, <laughs> um, you know, if he wasn't made Mysterio, certainly he doesn't get a contract. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that, I guess there's like broader scope for nepotism in uh, in pro wrestling, um, sure. uh, shall, shall we say. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, sort of um, looking to wrap things up and, and also um, related to what we've been talking about this whole time as well. Um, yeah, is, is, is I think, yeah, like, I think there is definitely a lot of scope for understanding the political process in general, or, or at least like the public facing side of the political process that we, uh, you know, that, that we experience um, as having a lot of parallels with wrestling and with, in particular with um, kayfabe. And I think it would be good for you to also kind of like in, in, in slightly more technical terms, like describe to our to our uh, listeners like exactly what that is, because that is a term that's bandied about a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know uh, in exactly to what what specific detail people know about it. But um, yeah, like the, the whole idea of like the, the theatricality of it and the, and the performance of it, you know, like especially in, in recent years, as you sort of wrote in the notes as well, um, I, uh, uh, you know, like, and, and it's something that we've brought up in the podcast many times, you know, like this, this performative stupidity that like the, 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 um, uh, uh, journalists all did like, especially when it came to Corbyn, for example, into like understanding very basic policies, you know, like, and it was just like, oh, what planting a billion trees? What? Like, who can do that? Like, it's like, are you fucking stupid? Like, what's wrong with you? You know, like, and, and like, it's it's purely performative, you know, like these people aren't actually that stupid, but like, 
They like pretended for ages that like Labour didn't have a Brexit policy when it fucking did have a Brexit policy and it was actually quite simple. Like, yeah, you, yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Like, you don't have to agree with it. I didn't. But, like, like, it, it, it was but there so, was a policy yeah. there. Like, yeah, it, it certainly wasn't beyond the ken of you know no. your private school educated <laughs> Oxbridge graduate fucking broadcast journalist. Um, yeah. Absolutely not. And 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 similarly, like how. For example, you know, like the way the decorum is brought up in, in, in like the Houses of Parliament, for example, you know, like and how you can't, you can say that someone said a thing that can be portrayed as racist, but you can't call the person a racist. You, ca you can't call the person a liar, you know, like you can't call Boris Johnson a liar, but you can say that he lied at one point, you know, like, or he said a mistruth or like some nonsense, you know, like, and, and you get, and you'll get like, get kicked out of Parliament for that shit. And it's like, it's, it's. You know, it's it's theatre. You know, like people are cheering along. You know, like it's yeah, it's it's okay, people exactly. are, like PMQs is like about landing these witty dunks on the other side. You know, like and and it's like, and 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 which is also why, for example, you know, like people like on the Labour right, it's so um, it's so apparent that like these people never want to win another fucking election. They don't have <laughs> any interest in actually being in power. They're perfectly content to just be in the opposition because that means that they don't actually have to even do any fucking work they can just sit there and just fucking moan at the left for not letting them into power and just like to collect their fucking cushy paycheck and make that a, a stepping stone to a consultancy job somewhere you know or like the head of some fucking charity or some shit like and 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 it's just, it's beyond disgusting but it's so apparent that that's what it is you know it's all fucking performance you know like jess phillips can like sit there and say you know, like just write to your write to your uh, your MPs, like show them your real <laughs> you know, discontent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like and nothing is gonna fucking come about of this, and you know this, we know this. Who the mm, fuck are you kidding? Yeah, exactly, like, and I think that's a more, <laughs> it's a more productive way of using wrestling uh, terminology to uh, to look at politics. When when people say, "Oh, this is just like De Louis," what that they really mean is the sort of the sort of phrase "punch and Judy" politics. You know, this um, yeah, this yeah. kind of, and, and I think actually looking um at it in terms of you know the extent to which we are on to manage democracy is kind of uh, is kind of quite instructive so kayfabe for the uninitiated is a wrestling term that actually comes from uh, carnival pig latin and it's best described as the pretense that wrestling is real right so if you maintain kayfabe you maintain that the personality you have on the wrestling show and your real life personality are one and the same you maintain that the fights you are having are actually real. And I mean, my, my favourite example of this, there was a guy called Nelson Scott Simpson, who was a wrestler in the 80s. He portrayed a character called the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Kurloff. Now, Simpson, um, as you may have, you know, inferred from the name, wasn't actually Russian. So once again, <laughs> we have this purloining of another nationality. Um, but um, while playing that character, he pretended to be Russian in all of his public appearances. And I don't just mean his public appearances related to wrestling. I mean, when he went to the grocery store at the end of the road to buy some milk, <laughs> he brought an interpreter with him to sign for his apartment. Because the Daniel Day-Lewis of wrestling. Yeah, yeah. well, it is. It was a, it was a, it's a really extreme form of method acting uh, when it's applied uh, so, uh, so stringently like this. And Nelson Scott Simpson played this character in public for eight years. Wow. Eight years wow. he pretended to be Russian. That's incredible. In in public, yeah. Now it's <laughs> it's relaxed now, you know. I mean, in Japan wrestlers will still do interviews in Kayfabe. Um 
just but, like for eight yeah. years, just for like, just like for, for four or five years, these journalists all pretended to be idiots. Yeah, yeah, exa- exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like they, 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 they kept it up, right? And uh, yeah, so Japan. This is really who yeah. we are. We are actually fucking morons. <laughs> yeah, you know? like where does the character yeah. end and we begin? But like, yeah, and. Um, but yeah, so it's 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 relaxed a bit uh, now. Like the Japanese wrestlers will maintain kayfabe in interviews, but in the in in Western countries, um, they will they will maintain kayfabe during the show. So they play the character during the show. But if you meet them at a signing after the show, they'll just be yeah. themselves. They'll be all they'll be all nice. And yeah. um, so, um, or like, they'll certainly act nice to get the money. And um, so, uh, you know, kayfabe has been um, has been relaxed. It's certainly not as it was. In the past, I mean, my other favorite example was there was a guy called the Sheikh, who was a uh, sort of Arabian wild man yeah. uh, character. Um, now the guy who played him was uh, of um, South Asian Muslim descent. He was called Ed Farhat, yeah. and uh, <laughs> he hated segregation. And yeah. um, whenever he wrestled in the South, um, the the re- the crowd was segregated. And what he would do, he was go he would go in the crowd and rip down the chain link fence that separated the white and black fans with his bare hands. And the reaction to that was basically, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't stop him when he's doing that. He's the sheik. He's crazy. He's a wild man. <laughs> like, he doesn't know what he's going to do next. And actually, he was com- he was completely sane. But segregation. Was- yeah, yeah, exactly. He was using his wrestling character as cover to make a- an act of resistance against segregation. Um, so that's basically what what kayfabe is. It is it's not lying. Um, so it is lying but it's a kind of deceit but uh, it's more than that it's it's the weaving together of these little deceptions into a mm-hmm. constructed reality for, for the purposes yeah. of a show and uh recent it's it's a term that's um gained a little bit of currency in left twitter circles in recent years i mean uh, uh nate from trash future a few weeks ago used it in uh, relation to the trojan horse fair podcast and i think just expanding yeah. on what nate says is kind of a good yeah, way yeah, into yeah, it exactly. because um yeah um, if you listen to the Trojan Horse Affair podcast, I, I would yeah. very much recommend that you do. Um, it's it's really it's really sort of blackly funny in the beginning because uh, poor poor Brian Reed, poor naive Brian Reed. He um, mm. you know he was very surprised at first by the fact that when this anonymous uh, letter was sent to Birmingham City Council alleging a secret Muslim plot to Islamize the schools in the city, that no one in politics and the media had taken the time to ask such basic questions as who wrote this letter and yeah. why they, why might they have done so and were its yeah. contents even remotely true and yeah, you yeah. can see him throughout the course of the podcast series realize oh actually you know the the, the truth or not of the letter was completely irrelevant to those in power yeah. they just wanted yeah. a pretext to increase surveillance of Muslims mm-hmm. uh, in in the UK, and judging by the interviews he gave after the podcast, if Brian wasn't aware of that uh, then, he certainly is now. Um, you yeah. know, and that an, uh, someone from America of all countries, uh, that someone from America was so taken aback by the extent to which our media acts not as a means of speaking truth to power or uncovering wrongdoing, but as a tool for disciplining the public and circumscribing yeah. the limits of acceptable political debate. Um, mm-hmm. That says yeah. a lot about our country and none of it's good. And of course, the reaction to the podcast from um, from the UK media kind of proved the point it was making. They, you know, they couldn't conceive of the fact that actually we might have done our jobs badly. It's no, no, they are, in, they are, in, you know, they, they really, uh, well, it was a smear campaign. Really. Oh, the reactions were amazing. Like, the reactions were absolutely amazing. You've got, like, Sonia Soda, like, and, you know, like, going on multiple article rants about yeah. how, like, um, yeah, okay, it was false. 
But there is there is <laughs> there is something to be talked about here, and it's like yeah, dude, it's, like and it's like yeah, but like the but the real thing is there is a thing to be to be talked about about the the you know the the radicalization in Muslim communities and. That's like literally one of the first fucking things that they address in the podcast. Like, I mean, like uh, Hamza Syed, like he, he talks about like literally having grown up in those communities and knowing about like the fact that like lots of lots of people ended up becoming radicalized in those communities. And they like literally fucking address it. You know, like, right. Yeah, yeah, get, though, but it's like, exactly. And then, then these people like try, trying to trying to pretend like this podcast is just absolutely something that it isn't. And it's like, dude, we all listen to it. You know, like, yeah, but, but again, that that in itself is is, is part of the kayfabe. The, yeah, the absolutely, absolutely. Is that there is a fifth column of of uh, radical yeah. Muslims seeking to undermine yeah. the foundations of liberal democracy, yeah. and yeah. therefore, you know, these concerns were legitimate, like regardless of the exactly. of the truth that they of the veracity of the letter itself. Yeah, mm. exactly, and that's why I feel like kayfabe is a better fit than because you sometimes see the term omerta. Um, thrown around, you know, the code of silence of the Sicilian mafia. And yeah, I was like, yeah. that doesn't seem to fit for me because, like, fucking yeah. hell, I wish these people were silent. They never <laughs> shut up. They are constantly um, setting forth, what I, I guess, what if you're looking at it in terms of, you know, what Michel Foucault would call uh, truth claims, right? But, yeah. uh, and as you said earlier, journalists pretending to be dumb, how can you plant so many trees? Um, you know, Labour's yeah. Brexit policy is confusing yeah. and, and all, the, all that shit. But, like, the other aspect of kayfabe that um, I think makes it a productive way of thinking about UK media is that kayfabe also requires a, a, a willing audience, right? So when you go to a wrestling show, have you? Have either of you guys actually been to a live wrestling show? I, I, no, I haven't. I haven't. I would like to though. Hmm? <laughs> at some point. Yeah, like it's. Um, I, I I would recommend it. It's 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 a, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I imagine it would be it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's great, but like the. Uh, so the, the when you go to a wrestling show, there's an unspoken pact between uh, crowd and uh, performers in that you yeah. know, even though the members of the audience, aside from the children and the terminally credulous, yeah. they're aware yeah. that the show is staged, that the wrestlers are yeah. probably actually mates in real life. Yeah. But yeah. The, a lot of the performance relies upon the crowd reacting as though yeah. it's yeah. a legitimate yeah. fight. And uh, in, yeah. in the same way, like Panto would be really weird. Yeah. If yeah, yeah, the yeah, crowd yeah, didn't exactly. do the heat behind say, you, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go to wrestling, um, the crowd, they'll boo the villain. They'll they'll cheer the hero and they'll start uh, chants to encourage them and shouting you know they'll shout encouragement to them to will them to victory even though they know the outcome yeah. of the match has already been decided backstage like hours or days previously but you, you know the audience is part of the story and uh, and the audience respects that and that makes the show better and you know the, in terms of UK media similarly the kayfabe requires a receptive audience now I'm not talking about the sort of Died in the wool Tories that were like we're never going to vote Labour even with um, a milk toast leader like you know Ed Miliband or Keir Starmer. Um, you know I'm talking about the people who could have you know argued themselves into being Labour voters. You know the um, soft left types, uh, FBPE, uh, Guardian Observer columnists, uh, various assorted uh, libs. But the, the mm. their issue was that these people's self perception relies upon seeing themselves as the good guys. Yeah. They are, yeah. you know, they're against the Tories. They're broadly in favour of equality. Don't press them on their actual policy proposals, but like they would like the 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 world to be fairer. And when someone like Corbyn came along, and with this movement behind him, they said, actually, you yeah. don't go far enough. The things that you advocate for are actually not going to change the country and make it fairer. 
in any appreciable way. A lot yeah. of these people, their brain short circuited, and they were like, "But, but they shut the bed, yeah, really? We're, and we're, like, we're the good guys, right?" And um, I mean, it's it, it, it's it's. I mean, it's it's not even so much that. I think it's just like once you realize that, like the changes that are going to be necessary in order to actually bring about the kind of the values that you seemingly espouse, they are going to require uh, a fundamental shift in society, in a society that you, you know, very materially benefit from. You know, like, as soon as that realisation kind of clicks into place, and I think that happens subconsciously for a lot of these people, they completely shat the bed, and that's exactly what happened with The Guardian, you know. Yeah, and, ex- and exactly. Sort of, and um, um, they... But they have to maintain the kayfabe now because yeah. um, they came up with all these reasons not to vote Labour, um, you know, where it's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not into Corbynomics. We're going back to the 1970s Soviet Russia. Yeah. Um, they yeah. gave a lot of credence to the accusations of anti-Semitism or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And so uh, now they have got to spend the rest of their lives pretending that the likes of John Mann, Ian Austin and Margaret Hodge are committed anti-racists, despite the <laughs> evidence to the, to the contrary, because if they admit, oh, actually, maybe a Corbyn government would have been better than what we currently have now, well, their role in mm. British politics since 2015 is not going to look very good. So, like, they, they are the ones who have to... They, um, they do a lot of ideological work now um, to uphold this kayfabe. And, and this is why they'll never stop twatting on about Corbyn, even though he's not been the Labour leader for like yeah. two years and he's More than fundament- two years now. Yeah. Yeah. Fundament- fundamentally in irrelevance to UK yeah. politics in a practical sense at this point. But he has to be the, the scapegoat for yeah. all the ills of the left yeah. and all the ills of the country because the alternative is admitting you were wrong. And despite what and the be- yeah, and, James O'Brien is able to do that. But the best part about all of this is the fact that like they've they've kind of up, uh, like created this this narrative this uh, narrative architecture you know which they have to play along with now and as a result of that they have condemned themselves to never fucking win again because Keir Starmer yeah. as soon as he runs they're gonna say oh that last time remember when you were in Corbyn's shadow cabinet remember yeah. when he tried to get Corbyn elected and this is the line that the Tories are gonna run with now this is what we said yeah. two years ago that they're going to go with and this is exactly what they're gonna fucking run yeah. this and is exactly what they're running with right now yeah you and know? the advantage <laughs> of that attack line is it's fucking true he did try to get exactly. Corbyn elected um, yeah. yeah and uh, I, the, the other thing um, just to kind of bring things full circle just in, in, in conclusion is that the um, there's actually an all party parliamentary group on pro wrestling now um, really yeah yeah <laughs> the, 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 yeah the circ- the circumstance to try and contain head, your head, excitement head, um, headed, the, the, headed by the, headed by mark francois i'm guessing <laughs> <laughs> of course xsas yeah the, 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 the circumstances um uh, surrounding it are actually actually like very serious so like um uh, a couple of years ago there was a, uh, a sex abuse scandal in british wrestling uh, so right. um, a guy called uh, David Starr, who's an American wrestler who made his home in the UK, uh, was outed as an abuser by uh, an ex-partner of his. And this uh, led to a lot of other, um, mostly women in the uh, who have been around the pro wrestling industry, exposing various people in British wrestling as mm. doing, you know, we're, we're talking like uh, physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, gaslighting, sexual assault, paedophilia, like, you know, you name it. Uh, you yeah. name it, it happened. Yeah. It, it's um, you know, it was yeah. kind of a, a Me Too moment for um, for pro wrestling. And in response to that, the all party parliamentary group um, on pro wrestling in the UK was uh, was set up, and they actually issued a white paper 
on um, reforming the uh, the industry, which has various recommendations in it. Some of which um, are good. Some of which are, uh, are you know good, but won't, are never going to happen. The industry is never going to do that. Some of which mm. would make you know virtually virtually no difference because like wrestling um exists in this kind of legal gray area between it's so it's not it's not classed as a sport um and there was one example of a wrestler having um dated a 17 year old student of his um Ooh, now, now yeah i know and and also been abusive in the relationship as well um to boot. Mm-hmm. but um uh now if he'd have been a football coach then that would have been illegal he what? would have been classed legally what? as being in a p- position of trust and therefore, he would not be able to date anyone under the age of eighteen that he was coaching because wrestling wasn't legally classed as a sport. Um, you know that that wasn't the case. Um, and but the, the the problem is that as with anything in the um, in you know British politics, um, reforms are promised and then don't happen. And uh, recently, um, Alex Davis Jones, who's the Labour MP for uh, Pontypridd. Um, who is the co-chair of the all-parliamentary group, got a bit of flack on social media. She wrote this article in the Times, um, so a very Starmerite <laughs> move. Um, she wrote this article in the Times, um, uh, sort of um, celebrating the fact that WWE are running a big stadium show uh, in Cardiff at the what used to be known as the Millennium Stadium, and how this yeah. would be a, a great thing for... Uh, British wrestling and how Dulului is uh, best practice in health and safety that British promotions could uh, learn from. Now, if you know anything at all about Dulului, you know that's absolute <laughs> bullshit. And it's just like, okay, yeah, in double quick time, this APPG has become a kind of you know corporate cheerleader uh, yeah. for you know moneyed interests. And uh, mm. as as um, a friend of mine uh, said. Um, I want people who are angry about this to know, like, this is what the British government does with everything, not not yeah. just wrestling. Yeah, 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 this yeah, is what politicians. Yeah, course, yeah. This is what politicians do, and so yeah. it's um, so yeah. The, the 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 whole thing is just um, it's just an absolute mess. Not an especially cheery note to end on, I think, but like it's something that no, no. But I think it's, it yeah, is it's it important. is it is very illuminating. It's, yeah. it's important. It's and it's illuminating. I think of the broader point of this whole episode. I think yeah, which is exactly. That everything yeah. is wrestling. Everything, everything is, is wrestling. Wrestling is capitalism. It's implicated it is, with it all is. types of capitalistic and political and abusive structures. And the, the yeah. fact is that, like, if left to regulate itself, because like Dula certainly is left to regulate itself by and large. Mm. And you see what happens there. Like, you mm-hmm. think working conditions are shitty for wrestlers on the independent circuit? Um, yeah, Dula mm-hmm. they don't get health insurance. Um, yeah. They're they're classed mm-hmm. as independent contractors mm-hmm. uh, for the purposes of that. They, they, yeah, um, they, they Uberized labor like long before Uber. Did. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, you know, if you if you're seeking to understand um, abuses in capital and politics, you can really do a whole lot worse than become interested in pro wrestling. And you know, things like what I've just mentioned and the the naked jingoism uh, of the yeah. you know the Iraq War stuff we yeah, talked yeah, about, yeah. like yeah. you know, I, I as a as a as a podcaster i we we mostly talk about wrestling that is good and that we like mm-hmm. right but, but because it's more fun to do that okay but there comes a yeah. time when there's 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 kind of a toxic positivity mo- movement in wrestling twitter the idea is like come on guys can't we just uh be happy about pro wrestling can't we just enjoy the show and it's like no fuck off once you know how the sausage is made all right yeah you 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 can't go back you need to be yeah conscious of all of these things that yeah. we've just talked and about how wrestling yeah. and fighting and UFC reflects the world around us and yeah. you, as leftists you really can't shy away from that and maybe that's the end answer mm-hmm. 
to the question you asked earlier, Arjun, about, you know, why would left Twitter people be interested in wrestling? It's because we have seen what it's like and now we kind of feel duty bound not to look away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there's no doubting the fact that, you know, there's there's few other forms of entertainment like it, really. And yeah, and yeah we'll definitely share some of the other clips that we've been talking about today on the, oh yeah you you have to, um, you have to see jerry the king lawler in a verbal debate yeah. saying the immortal words scott steiner your rebuttal <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely incredible uh, especially that clip uh but um yeah in general i mean i think that there's a lot more that we could probably talk about but i'm just thinking in terms of the length of the episode i think yeah, this is probably also a good like, um, a good point to sort of wrap things up but yeah. just generally i mean in terms of like i i would have loved to talk a bit about like um, for example, you know, like um, as as we were talking about earlier, like the the timelines of like the decline of, in in the popularity of, of um, WWE with the rise of the U- UFC, for example, and and one of the biggest legacies of that being, for example, Joe Rogan. You know, like yes. he comes from the world of UFC. I mean, he's obviously he predates that. He's a, he's a, he's a comedian. He's a TV presenter and stuff. But like UFC is where he like really kind of made a big name for himself and. Um, and and like the podcast, you know, like very much came off, uh, came up off the back of you know his his work with that. Yeah, and wrestlers uh, go on it as well. The Undertaker's yeah, been and, on it. Uh, Chris Jericho's yeah, done it. And and, like... and, and um, our wrestlers go on the Joe Rogan podcast. You mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they... Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, and 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 of course, you know, like we could have we could have talked at length about you know Chris Benoit whether or not he did it. You know, <laughs> God. <laughs> <he's> <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was it, it was Kevin Sullivan in the conservative in the conservative with an ice pick. <laughs> no, um, ge- genuinely, like I mean, we shouldn't really laugh about it because it no, is actually no. like, fucking. It is no, fucking it, tragic. Like, well, I mean, I, I, yeah, no. I mean, my laugh was more shocked than anything. no, no, it, no, it, no. It, but it I, I made the fucking joke. I mean, like I'm not yeah. gonna make a joke and then tell people not to laugh. that again is was the product of. Uh, you know, insufficient concussion testing. Um, Absolutely, WWE. Yeah. Like he, the, uh-huh. the the coroner said he had the brain of an eighty-year-old. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah. So again, this is just another example of how people are kind of chewed up and spat out uh, yeah. by by yeah. this business exactly. and how exactly, um, exactly. You know, so yeah, health and WWE best practice in health and safety. Do me a fucking favor. Precisely, love, that's the thing. You know, I mean, like when you look at Owen well, Hart, like. They? Like they die in yeah, yeah. fifties. And or... like and, and yeah. it's and like in terms of like actual active years that they have, it's very little. I mean, it's very few people who like Undertaker who've been around for like forty years or whatever. You know? Yeah. Uh but like uh like most people, you know, like they, they only get like a like maybe like a decade at most, you know, like yeah. at that level. Um and uh and and yeah, like I mean like I remember growing up, you know, obviously like watching like yeah, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, and then like within a couple of years they were both dead. Um, yeah. And yeah. and I think like and and from what I understood as well, like obviously I think Eddie Guerrero's death had like a big impact on Chris Benoit. And yeah, like, emotionally, definitely it, it, contrib- it really contributed did. emotionally like a lot to his like the general sort of psychological deterioration. You know. Um, yeah. And, uh, and but, Eddie, uh, Eddie Guerrero may not have passed away had he not been doing a bunch of roids because he was the Louis champion and he he needed to look a certain precisely. way. Precisely. So all this shit's connected. precisely exactly. Exactly, exactly, and Eddie, yeah, exactly. So like, and and obviously, he he got hooked onto painkillers from after like after a car crash and stuff, yeah. and then like that ended up like yeah, like the long lasting uh, effects of that addiction and stuff. Like, 
eventually ended up killing him very young and yeah like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of tragedy there's a lot of crazy stories you know like when it comes to all of this yeah. stuff and like i said you know i haven't really been familiar with this world in a long time there's but a, i find it fascinating nonetheless and, there's a um, good documentary yeah. about it called if it was beyond the mat or something oh, be, like beyond that. the mat's a classic uh yeah it's from the it's from the 90s that's a good um look at mm. how the industry was back uh mm. back then um, yeah. it sort of it covers the independent scene but also the WWF. Yeah. Um Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends episode where he goes mm. to wrestling school. Um mm. I would really recommend that. Uh, the wrestler, yeah. the Darren Aronofsky film. Uh, which is Darren Aronofsky's one good film, I would say. Like that is his one fucking good film. You wanna know something funny? I've not seen it. <laughs> Of, uh... <laughs> it is actually it is actually very good like because I, 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 I can't stand Darren Aronofsky no no normally. the thing is I, I, I saw I saw Mother and that's the closest I've ever yeah. come to walking out of a film at the cinema no <laughs> it is uh... M- Mother is Mother is like like genuinely atrocious I mean like it's it made me physically angry like watching it like I remember yeah. walking out of the cinema just thinking like I have I wish I could have those two hours of well, my life funny, back. Like, yeah. What the fuck I like, did I just watch? I like art films like that usually, but even that was too <laughs> yeah. wanky for me. It, yeah, it was yeah, so exactly, bad. Exactly. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of media out there about uh, yeah. uh, fighting with my family as well. Oh, the, shout uh, out to um, that movie! It was shot Stephen, in my Stephen hometown Merchant. in Norwich. Was it? Was it really fantastic? Shot in Great Yarmouth, which is my hometown, and shot yes, in Norwich, the, which the, is the my film city. About the, uh, another dynasty, the Knight family, who let me tell you were very sanitized in that film. Do, yes, not, yeah. do not look into what they've got up to in real life. I won't. Which family is this? Uh, the Knight family from uh, Fighting With My Family. Ah, oh, right. Um, no, so they're, they're a, a British wrestling, yeah. uh, wrestling right, family right, who's okay. been around for yeah. donkey's yeah. years. Uh, but I mean, dynasty, there's yeah. no wrestling family. There's no yeah. wrestling dynasty, which, is, which hasn't been involved in some like really shady shit. Yeah, right? they you are. Know, so, like... Not nice people. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's I mean, like, because these that, worlds, um, like, the, the, the world of like, yeah, like, wrestling fighting and like organized crime and all of these things they're always going to be yeah. like side yeah. next to each other as well you know like <laughs> so it, it, it's it, not really that much of a yeah surprise. i mean we didn't even get onto that aspect of japanese wrestling but um but yeah i mean in terms of like i think actual wrestling i'd recommend people uh watch dylan louise pretty cack at the moment so i wouldn't recommend doing that aw is pretty AEW is good yeah yeah there's a there's a company called aw which is kind of new uh their stuff's on itv4 their weekly show um, and that it's got a lot of old uh, wrestlers who used to be in Dolly So Chris Jericho is there, uh, CM Punk, uh, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, as he's known um, uh, now. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of big stars there. That is actually genuinely a good wrestling program. It's not perfect, but if you want American style pro wrestling, uh, that is the best place to go. Uh, the British wrestling industry is kind of kind of fucked as opposed uh on account of all mm-hmm. the stuff that i mentioned earlier so that's kind yeah. of a rebuilding yeah. phase and like you know we're, we're we're really trying not to let the sex pest worm themselves uh back in um <laughs> yeah that that's the thing i don't know a lot about wrestling but like a friend shout out to a friend uh at benford is online um they, they introduced me to like a discord server for like wrestling fans i only watched three matches in the end because like all of it was like three in the morning but it was <laughs> like yeah like whenever they spoke about british wrestling they'd be like oh yeah it's just full of sex pests and perverts and like, well <laughs> yeah, yeah if you're wondering like does does Brit- the british wrestling scene have the same reputation for nonsense as the country as a whole the answer is yes it does um but yeah. um, <laughs> japanese wrestling you should watch um um stardom is good that's a a, a women's wrestling company it's kind of uh quite idly uh, you know about the idol culture like the pop group stuff that they have in in japan yeah, yeah, yeah. so if yeah, you can if you can yeah. get past that aspect of it the wrestling is, <laughs> the wrestling is actually really really good i'd also recommend a 
series, uh, a, a streaming service called uh, Wrestle Universe. That's got a few promotions on it. They've got uh, DDT, which is uh, quite comedic and slapstick, but also with some really good wrestling. Uh, there's Pro Wrestling Noah, which is more uh, serious. And there's also Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, which is a um, a women's wrestling promotion that is also on mm. the on the streaming service. I really like that as well. That's really good. And um, also um, Gato Move, uh, G-A-T-O-H, and then Move. I'm not going to insult your fucking intelligence telling you how to spell Move. But mm-hmm. uh, they have a YouTube <laughs> channel. Uh, their shows are all there for free. If you want to see people doing silly shit um, in front of fuck all people in a converted pharmacy, and I highly yeah. recommend that you do, then uh, do check that out as well. Brilliant. No, Fair enough. Definitely. And did you, like, um, other than, like, the wrestling recommendations, did you have any other shout-outs, like your book and your podcast? Uh, yes, uh, I will. That you wanted to tell our listeners before we go? Yes, I will do some uh, plugs for... So my uh, my comrades uh, in the Pro Pro podcast, uh, they've got some of the side ventures. So um, uh, Daniel, who you had on the podcast uh, uh, quite recently, talking about uh, Irish Republicanism, mm-hmm. uh, he's mm. got a podcast called uh, The Echo of the Thunder, which is uh, had a few episodes uh, on. That is very, very good. He's also um, got a... Uh, some, he creates music under the name Handloom Lament, uh, which also is mm-hmm. Twitter handle if you want to follow him there. Uh, David, the other co-host, um, is uh, Viano14. So that's um, V-I-L-L-A-N-O and then 14 in Roman numerals. Uh, so you can find him on Twitter and Instagram there. He's got a podcast about the football club Partick Thistle called uh, Draw, Lose or Draw, uh, which mm. is, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, even if even if you're not into football, it's a good laugh. It's like they, they really fucking love the game. And um, it's um, it's uh, it's quite good to hear them talk about this uh this sort of cult Scottish football club that they yeah. just that they're just really into. And uh, shout out <laughs> to um, another collaborator um, and and also my uh, my uh, life partner at Sarah Parkin One. I uh, give her a follow because she does stuff with the podcast as well. And I should put the podcast um, uh, in general. So it's the Puro Puri podcast. So P U R O P O U R I podcast. So Puro is what they call pro wrestling in Japan. It's a corruption of the english word pro wrestling so it's a mm. it's a shit pun but we're stuck with the name so uh, go with it um we're um, <laughs> at puro podcast on twitter so that's nice and easy to remember and uh we we podcast about pro wrestling in japan uh we don't do like current stuff really it's more of a historical podcast and we're quite interested in the the intercultural aspects uh so we're in the middle of a series currently about uh wrestlers from the former Soviet Union who ended up in uh, ended up wrestling pro in Japan. Uh, we've done stuff about Hulkamania era guys in Japan and what they've done. We've got a three-episode series on Pride Fighting Championship. So if uh, our discussion of that in this episode piqued your interest, then do go and listen to that. And we also have a sister podcast on the same feed called Big Egg Podcasting Universe, which is about a particularly uh, notable women's wrestling show from 1994 that took place in Tokyo. And we're going through that match by match. It's a fucking 10-hour show, so this is quite the undertaking. <laughs> and we're going through it Brilliant. in this really granular detail and just get, getting uh, getting to grips with uh, with everything, what it tells us about the wrestling scene at the time. Uh, as far as other shit I've got to plug, um, you can buy my novel called The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan, spelt R-I-K-I-D-O-Z-A-N. It's a uh, novel set in the world of Japanese pro wrestling in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, centred around Ricky Dozan, who we mentioned earlier in the episode, Japan's first big wrestling star and one of its biggest ever TV stars and sports stars as well. And it follows the, I guess, the development of Ricky Dozan um, as a as a legend and his company and what pro wrestling's role in Japanese society was at the time, um, as we alluded to earlier. Um, you don't have to know absolutely shit all about wrestling to enjoy it. I wrote it so that there's some nerdy Easter eggs in it for long-time fans, don't get me wrong, but I wrote it so that you don't need to know anything. I explain everything to you, even the rules of wrestling. You don't even know, need to know how to win a wrestling match. 
So um, it's had some very nice reviews. You can buy it for your Kindle. You can get print-on-demand paperback. Um, so do check that out. People seem to have enjoyed it. Uh, I've got a Twitch stream. Uh, you can follow me at uh, twitch.tv slash lordtenpai. That is L-O-R-D-T-E-N-P-A-I. Um, in a, another life, aside from uh, writing, podcasting, and I guess doing my regular nine to five, uh, I'm a competitive Mahjong player. So um, I play Very Mahjong good. every Thursday night, um, you know, give or take. Uh, so if, you, if you're a fan of, say, the Yakuza series or Final Fantasy XIV or video games like that, or if you're just interested in Mahjong, I do slag off Keir Starmer quite a lot on stream. <laughs> so if that sounds like your bag, then do tune in for that. And I, I basically I play Mahjong against the randos on the internet, and I go through my strategies, and then I got, get bored of going through strategies and, and just start giving out about the state of things, um, which I think will put me in the sort of kindred spirits with a lot of uh, followers of this podcast. So, um, yeah, do give that a look as well you can also find my writing at i maintain the double foot stomp is silly.com uh which basically it just amused us to have such a convoluted uh, url one more time that's i maintain the double foot stomp is silly.com there's all sorts of wrestling esoterica on there i wrote an article about the top 10 towels in the history of pro wrestling uh so if that sounds like your bag then uh do check that out and uh some of my comrades also um write uh, stuff on there which is much more perceptive than anything i've ever put to paper and i think that's it in terms of my plugs that's and that's 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 a lot of plugs, definitely, and uh, <laughs> a massive thanks. Uh, no, no, a massive thanks. Uh, regardless, I mean, for 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 all of your uh, yeah, for, for all of your knowledge, for sharing with us today, and for your general company, it's been really great, very informative, and, uh, and a lot of fun. Um, yeah. yeah, very glad that we could we could make this happen, and uh, we'll definitely be sharing all of those links. Just uh, yeah, do send them through to me, so. It'll be easier easy to share and um yeah as uh, as always i'm arjan at arjanistan on twitter and i'm connor at omipph on twitter uh the legendary and uh <laughs> yeah we are at at leftover pod on twitter patreon.com forward slash leftover pod uh massive thanks to all of our supporters out patreon episode will be out before the end of the month we promise um it's just taken a little bit longer just the, the scheduling has been a little bit tricky but um it is coming and it's going to be a good one so uh keep an eye out for that and um yeah a massive thanks to uh to connor for, for production of course as always to, to Carlio for the music to all of you for listening uh and we'll catch you all next time cheers i walk out here every night with hustle loyalty respect on my sleeve That is a credo I have adopted for the men and women who defend the freedom of this country. We have caught and compromised to a permanent end, Osama bin Laden. I light my torch and burn it. I am the beast I worship, and I know you.